It's the Eastern Insider Podcast with your hosts, Greg Steiner and Alex Jewell. Welcome to this week's edition of the Eastern Insider Podcast. I'm Greg Steiner. I'm Alex Jewell. We're thrilled to have you along. Alex, if you think about it, we would have been preparing for what was the final weekend of the baseball season over the weekend. We would be getting ready to head to Avon tomorrow to watch the baseball team head into the MAC championship had things not gone off the rails. What's uh, when you sit at home, you had live sporting events on for the first time last weekend. What stands out that you missed the most seeing live sports on TV? Well, seeing live sports on TV first and foremost is good because I think we've all been missing that. But I'll tell you, we've had this conversation off, off of the podcast as well. I think, you know, there's just something romantic about baseball specifically and getting that cut short this year was, was not fun for either of us. But there's because there's nothing like a warm, crisp spring day sitting out at the baseball stadium when you can kind of smell those bratwursts going, and everybody's just always in a good mood at the baseball stadium. So certainly miss that, and gonna miss Avon this year, seeing of course our friends from all around the Mid American Conference, and definitely gonna miss Swenson's because you and I both know only two exits away from Springer Stadium there in Avon is Swenson's. And so certainly missing some good burgers this week. Yeah, Swenson's, if you haven't had it, a regional chain in Northeast Ohio, might only be topped by, I don't know, Cookout or, or some people say In-N-Out. I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty partial, but, but the, the Galley Boy ranks up there pretty high in my book. Uh, but, yes, missing out on that. And uh, it, it would have been fun because I think, Granted, the baseball team was off to a slow start, but I think uh, Eric Roof and the boys would have figured out a way. They always figure out a way to get competitive, and uh, it would have been, been an interesting one. But if you didn't know, last week, of course, the MAC announced some changes across the board for some of their efficiencies. They've changed some postseason play uh, directives, how many teams will make it to some tournaments, and even the elimination of some of the tournaments. Unfortunately, it, just pure economics and a lot of things played into it, but uh, we certainly are, are thinking about the student-athletes that uh, may not now have a championship, but keep in mind, they still have the opportunity to compete for championships. I think that was the one thing that a lot of the media might have, have just glossed over last week was, oh, they're eliminating championships. Yes, they are, but you still have the opportunity. If you win your regular season, you're still going to the big dance. You are, and in a way, this solves some of the issues that a lot of people complain about anyways. Everybody else says, well, in the regular season, you don't play everybody. It's not a, as full of a schedule as it should be. Well, in baseball specifically now and some of the other sports, they're actually going to expand the conference season so teams will get to play everybody in the conference and, and really have a top-to-bottom winner. Uh, and so the regular season is always important, but it just becomes that much more important. And the good thing for us, that means – is that if you're a fan or, or if you're someone in our line of work or even the players, every single game, every single series from the beginning 
counts just as much as super important nowadays. So we're going to have really meaningful baseball right from the start of the season and really meaningful sports and soccer as well, and as, among other sports. So every game will be high intensity and really important coming up in the seasons ahead. Yeah, you talk to alums, and a lot of times they remember uh, specific games or moments, but a lot of times you, they talk about the camaraderie of just being around their teammates and those road trips. We pivot a little from how we normally do this podcast today. Usually we're, we've got coaches or student athletes, or lately we've been talking about uh, different media members here or there. Today, though, we go in the alumni database. You and I had a good time. We've caught up with a lot of alums the last few weeks, and today we start that series. First off, on the football field, we get none other than Jason Jones, the former uh, Tennessee Titan, former Detroit Lion, uh, played in the NFL for many of years, a, a fierce force on the defensive line. We catch up with him, and then we also shift uh, and catch a little women's basketball. It's Latanya Watson, who uh, was a great player in her own right in the late 80s, early 90s, now an assistant coach at NJIT, uh, a 20-plus years of Division I coaching experience, and a great way to catch up with those two. Two names that every Eastern Michigan fan should know. Obviously, Jason Jones, a big one on the football field. For those that don't know, the second highest draft pick Eastern Michigan's ever had, had a great college career and an NFL career, and now runs his own business, talks a lot about that, as well as just catches up with some great memories about Eastern and also sparring off, you know, with some different Eagles uh, in the NFL, including TJ Lang. He gives a little shout out there. And Latanya Watson, someone that still to this day, yeah, her name can be found up and down the record book. That's a shameless plug. Read my media guide, everybody out there. It's available on emueagles.com. But someone uh, that, you know, in that era of basketball, she was around when basketball was really at its height at Eastern Michigan. Of course, we're hoping to get it back there. But talking uh, about her relationship with some of the famous men players as well as, as what she was able to do on the court, really cool. And just kind of hearing her perspective about how things have changed and then how she's evolved because now over 20 years as a coach in, in the division one and the division two ranks, she's coached WNBA players on down and some really awesome perspective there. So great to catch up with both of those two. Yeah, it's fun. If you got a little time, they're both about 10, 11 minutes apiece. They're worth your time to sit through, listen, uh, because this is just the start of, of some of these alumni features as we were wind down our podcast series for the year. Don't miss it. Alex and I, after a quick timeout, back with these interviews after this. He played many seasons in the NFL, and he also happened to be an Eastern Michigan alum. Today, we're lucky enough to be joined by the one and only Jason Jones. Welcome into the podcast. We're thrilled to have you here. You look at your time playing in Eastern Michigan. I don't remember. What drove you to want to wanna come play from Eastern, being a, a local kid? But Eastern had struggled. What, what made you choose EMU? Uh, uh, it's, to be honest, it's, it's the kind of story I've told maybe a few times. Uh, you know, I, I, was a, I was a basketball player. So I always had dreams of, you know, playing basketball, going to the NBA, and, you know, doing that thing. So football kind of wasn't a sport for me. Uh, but in high school, a uh, football coach who I'm, you know, very cool with, 
um, finally convinced me to get on the football field. And, um, and uh, you know, two years later, I'm, I'm playing. I played two years of high school football. And then uh, Jeff Jennick had got the job at um, – had got the job at Eastern Michigan, and he, him, and uh, my coach, Coach Stefan Thompson, were, you know, were, uh, were good friends. They knew each other, and um, he came to our school and offered like it was three of us. It was me and like my two other best friends right there, like just offered us right there. And um, it was something for me. It was just it was kind of a a no brainer for me, even though I still wanted to play basketball, uh, getting a full ride, you know, to to a college, and my parents not having to pay for nothing. It was cool, and then I still, I, those two years, I you know I started loving the game of football. So I grew to love that, and um, that's kind of how that happened. And Eastern was my only scholarship for football. So, I took well, it. you come, you come to Eastern, and you're used to playing tight end, and then they ask you to make the switch to D line. And what was your first thought when you made that switch? Because looking back at it now, obviously uh, it worked out pretty well for you. Oh, it worked out tremendous. Yeah, it worked out very well. Um, the, the thing behind that was that I was a tight end, came as a true freshman, playing tight end, and, um, and I'm just getting my feet wet, you know, just – and the way it went that year was, like, minimum catches and no no yards after catch, and it was just, like, uh, once I got to spring ball going into my uh, sophomore year, you know, it was, a, it was kind of a mutual thing, you know. They knew I was quick, you know, uh, and they wanted to see me – you know, I had a long frame, so they wanted to see me on the defensive line, see what I can do. And um, that spring ball, I kind of, like, just dominated. And, you know, the rest is history from there. I think back and, and remember your playing days, there are two games that kind of stand out to me as really big-time games. Uh, Vanderbilt, you had, I think, four or five tackles. You had a big game against Northwestern, again, four or five tackles. What do you remember as kind of your highlight game? Was it one of those? Was it? A collegiate clash game at Ford Field. Um, remember? So I'm a. It was so it was one game in my in 2006 against Northwestern where I had the five TFLs. That was a memorable game because I just felt like I was just unstoppable. I was just in the backfield everywhere, every time, and and just my quickness and speed. That game then 2007 we had two games. The Vandy game, I actually had 11 tackles, four tackles for loss. And then the Michigan game, right the week afterwards, I had six tackles, three tackles for loss in a sack. And uh, I think those two games right there kind of solidified, you know, you know my, my, my chance in the NFL draft. And that's when I knew I pretty much had a, I had a big shot against because I played against those big, you know, played well against those big teams. Certainly those games were an indication for what was to come. You end up going in the NFL draft and obviously having a career in the NFL. When you make the transition – from college football to the NFL. In your eyes, what's the biggest difference and, and how did you make that successful transition? Um, the biggest difference, one of them was uh, obviously the speed of the game, um, the speed of practice, the business-like attitude towards uh, practice and games. Um, uh, and then just me being thrust into a position to where it, it helped me out to where I went to a situation with the Titans to where I had some older, older uh, players that kind of groomed me and it kind of showed me the ropes on the field and off the field as far as, you know, getting into Nashville and just being on my own. You know, I appreciate those guys a lot for that. But that, to me, the, the biggest was the speed of the game, the business-like attitude towards the game and uh, practice and just being evaluated on every practice rep, everything. That was kind of like the biggest thing. 
You look back, you played for a bunch of different teams, uh, the Titans, you played for the, the Seahawks, you played for the Lions for a bit. You moved around a lot, but the most impressive thing that I think that I've always liked about you, Jason, is you've always represented the blocky. You've always kept in touch. You've always been around. What's the most, your favorite thing about repping your, your alma mater and, and why do you keep in touch? I know you've given back to the Student Athlete Performance Center. You've, you've done a lot and you're part yeah. of the championship advisory. What makes Eastern so special? Um, I, I, I just think it's just the, the struggle, you know, this, you know, this, this, uh, it's, it's gone through, especially the football program has gone through just over the last decade, and, you know, just seeing just a bright spot, you know, with Coach Creighton coming in and getting us to bowl games and actually seeing six, six win seasons and things of that nature. That's what keeps me motivated, just knowing what we came from to where I know we can go and uh, seeing that, that, that building that it was just built. I mean, it's amazing. You know, when you walk in there and see that, and that's the type of stuff that, you know, these, you know, these student athletes need, you know, they're, you know, they're waking up at 6 a.m. in the morning, doing school, workout, doing this. So it's, it's a lot to demand from student athlete and this for them to have that, you know, it's kind of rewarding. And for me, you know, just, it, it's just, I just want to see the program one day, maybe go to a national championship or consecutively MAC championships and things of that nature so I can go there and, uh, and root for them. But, it kind of comes from, too, and it's, it kind of comes from just having conversations in the NFL when you're talking about your college teams. You know, you can't really – I couldn't really boast about, you know, Eastern Michigan as much, you know, just because of that, and that's kind of a motivation as well. Well, and certainly when you think about kind of the prototypical model of uh, an Eastern Michigan student-athlete, I mean, you certainly fit that. Maybe, like you said, didn't have the football experience growing up, changed to over to football late – blue-collar kid, worked hard from the area, and then made his dreams come true in the NFL. Now seeing the success of the program, seeing the resources that are here at Eastern that weren't here when you're here, if you're a student athlete that's, you know, being recruited by four or five different schools in the area, what's your message to them about why they should come to Eastern maybe now more than ever? Uh, I just, I know it's a lot of talent in the Metro Detroit area, and uh, just coming to Eastern and coming there again, the quality education. You know, Eastern is not a slouch in the education you know, department. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a great school for business, a great school to become a teacher, things of that nature. And um, that itself alone it should want to drive a person to come there. But when you come here and see the facilities and see that, you know, the last three years we have been winning and see that, you know, see the vision that, you know, everybody has for this program, you know, they can start something new. They could be a part of something new and then to build on in the future. And, um, you know, that's what I'm most excited to see for this program. All too often, and I've talked with a couple of guys that have gone to play professional, and it, it, a lot of things they talk about are how they get ready to, to play in that next level. How has – and even it doesn't have to be in, in the football world, but you look back at your, your college time, is there some place or moment that really prepared you the most for what it was like getting out in the real world? Was it in the classroom? Was it an advice from a coach? What, what was it that you kind of always leave as a lasting memory? Um, I, would, I would say just, you know, even though my time at Eastern, we won 13 games and 13, we won 13 and 33 or something like that. Even though we lost, it built me, you know, just as far as how to face adversity later on in my career, just, personal life on the field and just encountering any type of problems, how to, you know, how to deal with things of that nature. So just dealing with losing, finding ways to find a positive in things and, and just, you know, and, and move on 
in that nature. But um, I would say just my uh, my four years at Eastern helped me just just you know how to problem solve, you know, fight diversity when it comes. Coming from the MAC, obviously a competitive conference around uh, the the whole league. When you think back to your NFL days, is there any uh, stories maybe of some trash talk between you and some other MAC opponents from the days back at Eastern, or maybe some uh, fellow Eastern Michigan alums that uh, you were able to kind of match up with in the NFL? I will say this: uh, my, my dog uh, TJ Lang. Um, for a minute, you know, those three years, you know, I was with the Lions and he was with the Packers. You know, we saw each other. You know, we saw each other a lot, and uh, it will it will be funny, man. You know, we'll definitely shake hands before the game, and. He'd be like, man, you know, please don't you know, beat me up too hard today. And I'm like, please don't punch me hard today. Because, you know, TJ, you know, he was a great puncher, man. He was quick at the, at the guard. He was a great puncher. And I was also quick, too. So it will be times where I get him, you know, I get past him. But, you know, he had number 12 behind him. So that kind of uh, helped him out a little bit. But, you know, we had our, you know, me and TJ had our, you know, had our battles, you know, going against when I was in Seattle, going up against him. And then when I went to Detroit. Uh, playing against them. So I think as far as trash talk with EMU or Mac players too, that was kind of only, you know, we they're kind of spread out all over the NFL. It's not like a, a certain amount at, at one team. So TJ was kind of the one that, you know, you know, coming from, he came in after me at Eastern and then actually playing against him. And, you know, he was at D-line and went to O-line and I was a tight end and went to D-line. So it was kind of crazy in that dynamic. But I would say TJ. Looking for a ride? Trinity Transportation has the vehicle for you. From luxurious motor coaches to cozy sedans, Trinity Transportation is prepared to take you to your destination. Check out their fleet of vehicles at trinitytransportation.com or call 877-284-4200 to book today. That's trinitytransportation.com or 877-284-4200. Trinity Transportation, the official transportation provider of Eastern Michigan Athletics. She earned four letters in varsity women's basketball from 1988 to 1992 for Eastern Michigan and led her team in assists in her final three seasons as a then Euron and partially Eagle. We're joined alongside Latanya Watson. Coach, welcome in. First time we've got to, to chat, but how are you doing in this time? I'm doing well. Uh, like I said, uh, better to see the grass above ground than uh, below ground. So um, in this pandemic, uh, I'm in one of the hot spots right now, but you know our our uh, governors and and uh, our personnel are doing a really really good job of of um, keeping us at bay uh, by staying home uh, and working virtually. So, well, we can't thank you enough for for you staying safe and also for what you did on on the basketball court. Some numbers for folks that may not know your career. You're fourth in assists, fifth in steals, eighth in free throws made, 12th in scoring, and 10th in single-season assists. You hear those kind of numbers. What if, is your story? How did you end up at EMU? Funny story. Try to make it short. Um, during my time, we didn't have, you know, summer basketball club teams and, and whatnot. Um, I wasn't heavily recruited at all. Um, in fact, I had zero uh, scholarship offers. Um, from any Division One schools, there were you know a couple of local uh, Division Two schools in Milwaukee. Um, but all summer, I spent um, at um, 
Phillips Academy in Andover, Massachusetts, um, studying um, in a program that I got a scholarship for called Math and Science for Minority Students, um, or appropriately uh, called MS Squared, where I studied for three consecutive summers. So I didn't do basketball in the summers at all. Uh, it was just strictly pickup, you know, against whoever was in the gym. And uh, basically, I had to send out tapes. I was one of those kids that, you know, we're getting a ton of emails with, uh, 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 you know, highlight videos and whatnot. So I tried to do my, my due diligence with that. But I was one of those kids. And um, my uh, coaching staff, um, they, had, uh, they were in their first year uh, and they needed a point guard. And, you know, uh, I needed a school. They needed a point guard. So it was a, it was a pretty good fit. But uh, I was uh, a late signee and uh, the rest was history as far as uh, me getting to, to Eastern. But um, I was really, really thankful and humbled and blessed to, to have gotten that offer. You think about a women's basketball program here in Eastern that really in the last 20, 30 years has seen a lot of success. And you're undoubtedly in that group of probably the 10 best players that have ever donned the green and white in that program. I can speak to that confidently as I work with women's basketball. So I look at all the stats and your team is all over the record books. You, you hear some of those numbers Greg mentioned, all those top 10s in the record book that you're still in. What stands out most to you? Is there is there a specific accomplishment or kind of a memory of EMU that stands out most to you? Well, the one record that I, uh, that I was really uh, proud of, of being able to, to hold for a little while was uh, the assist, the career assist record. Um, because uh, as you all know, Lori Bird, who is iconic in, in my opinion, I think she's the best player to ever play at Eastern Michigan. Um, and when I uh, arrived on campus, that was one of my goals. Like I, I had that at the forefront of my mind. And uh, fortunately enough, you know, throughout my career, I was able to do that. Um, and then since then, there have been some other uh, greats that have, have eclipsed that. But um, that one and then also the, the, the scoring, um, being in, in, uh, on the scoring list of breaking 1,000 points, um, for me, because I wasn't really a scorer, I was more of a playmaking point guard um, that, you know, I did whatever my team needed and they needed me to score. So I scored. You look back at, at your time and I came on as a, as a student right as the Convocation Center was opening. I didn't get to witness games at, at Bowen, but you talk, every, everybody you talk to talks about that old barn and how it would just get rocking. What was so special about playing in Bowen? Um, it was just the, the atmosphere. Yeah, we had the track around the court, and, you know, we had the bleachers uh, brought in um, along the, the baselines. But it was a really uh, – the administration did a really good job of making a very intimate um, environment where, you know, when they got loud, they got loud. And, you know, uh, we also had the men who we played double – true doubleheaders at, at that time. And the men uh, followed us and, you know, our men's team making it to the NCAA tournament. And like, so basketball was, was a revered sport um, as it is uh, today at Eastern Michigan. So uh, people came out and they were right there up next to the floor. And uh, it was just a cool environment. Is there a specific game, maybe a home game or away game that, 
kind of sticks out to you or that uh, is maybe your favorite game as a player? I'd have to say uh, the game against Ball State that went into overtime my junior year. Um, that happened to be the game that I scored 36 points, which was uh, my career high. Um, when they talk about uh, ice water running through your veins and you being in a zone, like that day, I truly felt like that basket was like was like the Atlantic Ocean. Like I, anything that I put up, like it went in. And um, to be able to hit the, the three-pointer um, off of a sideline out-of-bounds play to send the game into overtime was, like, pretty cool. So, they, again, the atmosphere was awesome. Um, my teammates, uh, first and foremost, um, you know, they were big uh, encouragement to me and had so much confidence in me, as did my, my coaching staff. So um, I definitely have to say that, that game um I was on cloud nine that day some days you just have those, those kind of kind of moments and they just go in as a coach now you've got 20 plus years of division one basketball experience a lot of time at, at uh, you spent at the University of Colorado you're also at American Bucknell now at the New Jersey Institute of Technologies you're also a head coach for a while at the division two mm -hmm. level at New Haven what's the biggest difference in women's basketball from when you played to what what they are now? I think the way we, we approached uh, the game of basketball back then, um, we were just passionate about just playing. It wasn't like we were playing the game to get a scholarship. Scholarship was a byproduct of just our, our love and our passion for the game. Um, we'd play pickup uh, all the time. Um, we think about during this time, uh, uh, you know, dealing with the pandemic and not having uh, work, uh, you know, spring workouts and, you know, not having summer school. And I just think back the only year that I even had that, you know, my teammates and I had that during that era was my freshman year. After that, our coaches couldn't work out with us uh, in, in the, uh, in the preseason and our coaches couldn't work out with us after the season. And we didn't have summer school unless you really, really needed it to graduate or, or uh, if you were behind. So we had to really have a genuine and deep love uh, for the game. And, you know, I don't know if it's still there, but the courts, the outdoor courts over there by the hill, man, we spend many a days and many a nights up there uh, balling. You know, uh, Charlie Batch, he wouldn't play, but he'd be walking around, you know, just walking by. But, you know, all the locals, um, you know, from Ipsy as well as uh, students, and we'd be up there, and you know, when the weather was nice, and then when it when it was uh, in the winter time, I just went to the uh, to the wreck and just sat and watched other people play because, like, I just want to be around basketball. So I, I just felt like that was the way we were back then, um, and we knew the history of the game a whole lot more. Uh, we were students of the game. Um, and, you know, by and large, nowadays, uh, probably holistically, the players are more talented um, as far as athletic, you know, being able to do a lot of different things with the ball. But, hey, we, we could get it done, you know, on, you know, on our own merits <laughs> back in the day. I can attest those courts are still there, although I don't think the, the talent playing on them nowadays is <laughs> But. Yeah, you know, I've asked you to reminisce on, on some of your times as a, a 
a player in some of those memories, but Greg mentioned uh, so much experience in the coaching ranks now. Is there something or maybe a certain player or a group of players that kind of sticks out to you over your 20-plus your year career um, that was maybe most special for you and most proud of uh, as a coach? I don't want to – I don't think it would do any justice to pinpoint particular players. I will just say that um, the players that I had the honor to coach were blessed me just as much, if not more, than they would say that I blessed them uh, for the mere fact that – uh, the relationships that we've, we've built, um, you know, they far exceed the four years, uh, that they, you know, were in the programs, uh, where I was able to, to coach them. Um, so many of them I see today, whether it be on Facebook, Twitter, you name it. Um, in fact, they are the reason why I got Facebook and Twitter. It's just so that I can keep up with them because we got players from all over the world you know, in France, um, we had a player uh, from Colorado, Chucky Jeffrey, who was who just got home from uh, in in the Romanian league, which he's still playing in. Um, Singapore, uh, I mean, you name it. You know, they they're all over the globe, and I get to see their children. I get to see you know their families. You know, I'm trying to see if Tara Bjorklund, who's you know six five, has a daughter. Her husband's tall. I think it might be a good good idea to try to, you know, get her to uh, make a verbal commitment early. Um, and then Brett Hartshorn, Reagan Scott, you know, all of these guys, you know, I know where they are, I know what they're doing, stay in touch. Um, so, uh, you know, all of them, I just love them all. And the one, the couple that really I had uh, the closest relationships to, Mandy Nightingale, obviously, um, because she was uh, one of my first um, point guards at, at the position that I coached. Um, and so I had an opportunity to coach her for all four years and to watch her go from, you know, not being um, offered by local schools in Oklahoma to come into Colorado and watching her, her growth throughout those four years. She would have been the last one in that class that you would have thought would have gotten drafted. Uh, in the in the WNBA, and to watch her growth was just phenomenal. Um, but I always knew players like that with a heart that she had as a world class trick water skier. Are you serious? She was a better world class trick water skier than she was a basketball player. So you know, like I said, it was just a true honor to be able to coach uh, players like Mandy, um, and then Chucky Jeffrey, who's still playing uh, professionally, which is pretty cool. Well, that'll do it for another edition of the Eastern Insider Podcast. Remember, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, or emueagles.com. Until next week, stay safe.